We've all heard how ISIS is attacking Christians, but God is also using ISIS to draw Muslims to the truth. She was appalled to see a beheading. ISIS is being used to reveal something of the dark heart of Islam. Christians are responding to these acts of brutality with amazing examples of love and forgiveness. She said, if there was an ISIS guy in the street, I would call him into our home to forgive him and to share with him. We'll learn more about how God's kingdom is advancing in the Muslim world this week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Today we're speaking with another of our guests that will just have a first name for the purposes of this conversation because he is a guest who travels in and out of the Muslim world on a regular basis. Uh, we're talking today with Julian. Uh, Julian is a longtime worker in the Muslim world. He's working with Operation Mobilization. Julian, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. Good to be here. When we turn on the news, uh, it's pretty easy to be discouraged uh, about what's happening in the Muslim world. We, we see ISIS, we see uh, people getting their heads cut off, people being lit on fire, just horrific things. Uh, but you, as a, as a firsthand witness and as a traveler in the Muslim world, you have a different side of the story. The, the fact that even as there are those horrible things happening, God is still at work. Can you share a little bit about how, how good things are happening, even in the midst of horrible things? God, in his sovereignty, is able to turn what is evil and what the enemy intends for evil into something that's good and great. Last month, I met a Somali lady who, just a regular, ordinary Muslim who used to pray her Muslim prayers in Arabic, and then a friend sent her a video link, and when she clicked on the link... She was appalled to see a beheading. It's one of these ISIS-type videos of beheadings which in are intended to shock and to horrify. And this was an American in Iraq. And she saw that in the video that the guy doing the killing was reciting the Quran. That appalled her and shocked her. So she prayed. And the significant thing is she said, for the first time in my life, I prayed from my heart. Wow. And that means she prayed in Somali, uh -huh. her mother tongue, and not in Arabic. She said, God, what is, is this really you? Is this what you want? Is this who you, who you are? And that night, God answered her prayer, and she had a vision of a glorious shining figure in white descending from heaven and a whole multitude of people on earth worshiping him. And she was one of the worshipers. And she knew that was right and that was good. And she went on to become a believer. And her husband has joined her in faith. And they've just uh, joined us. 
as uh, people to head up our Somali media outreach. Wow. Very specific example of what is an atrocity and horrific being used to turn someone's heart towards truth. You know, I, I have spoken with uh, Iranian believers, and they talk about uh, Ayatollah Khomeini being one of the greatest missionaries uh, in the history of Islam, that that he showed the face of Islam to the Iranian people, and they said, I don't—that's not me. I don't want to be a part of that. Is ISIS doing the same thing? Are, are they becoming really missionaries that are driving people to look for something else? Just like Khomeini did, ISIS is being used to reveal something of the dark heart of Islam. I, I, as I say that, I feel a bit reticent because I know that many, many Muslims want to distance themselves and are embarrassed by it and are great people. And we really should not see our Muslim neighbors as terrorists. As ISIS. Yeah. As ISIS, but as neighbors. Mm-hmm. Who want to be a regular part of the community, but nevertheless, the truth is, some of this evil stuff is being exposed as never before. One of the other things that's happening in the Muslim world, and you have talked about it, is is the church is responding. How is how is what's happening with warfare, bloodshed, terror? How is that changing the church and changing the way that they live out what it means to follow Jesus Christ? The wonderful thing is that they are responding in a very Christ-like, godly fashion, which is particularly significant for us because the church in the Near East consists of people from the Christian minority who've lived under Islamic rule for 1,400 years, who have been humiliated and oppressed and quite understandably are fearful and suspicious and really don't want to see Muslims coming to their churches. And that's been a prayer concern because they're the people who are going to reach their neighbors and they speak Arabic, they understand the culture. So we've been praying for a long time to see the church mobilized to reach out. And just recently in response to the human tragedy of ISIS and the refugees, two million people have had to leave Syria. A third of the population of Syria have had to leave their homes. The economy has collapsed. There's poverty, uh, hunger. And especially in Lebanon, about 25% of the population of Lebanon are, are, are now refugees. And the Lebanese government doesn't want these folks to stay, so they're not making them very welcome. Right. And they're in, like, in tents, in fields squatting in empty, unfinished buildings, many of them really struggling. And the churches, which up to now have really kind of been at arm's length, have been moved with Christian compassion to respond and to open their hearts and open their doors. And we've helped them with that. We've given them some training how to do relief distribution and some supplies. And the result is Syrian refugees coming into the churches in Lebanon in a completely unprecedented way. I have heard a glorious story from one of my close friends in Lebanon of a pastor whose church of 200 is inundated with 80 refugees who don't know how to behave in church. (laughs) And their kids are messing up the Sunday school. And he said with his tongue firmly in his cheek, 
God has ruined my church. <laughs> and since he said that, the number of Syrians in his church has gone up from 80 to 200. So this is a church that used to be 200 and is now 400, has doubled because of Syrian Muslim refugees. I think there's an interesting lesson there, though, for our American churches that that is uncomfortable when people come in from outside who don't know the lingo and don't know how to act. And the people in the church look at that and go, whoa, wait a minute. I you're think, si- you're I think sitting that, in my seat. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you're sitting in my seat. Wait, we don't do that here. That can be a problem in an American church, too. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. How have the Christians overcome that? How have they—is it simply that they have compassion, or have some of them said, oh, I'm going to go find a different church where we don't have this problem? Well, I'm sure the reason the pastor said, God has ruined my church, is because there was some grumbling on the back row, and some folks were complaining about things ain't the same as they used to be. Nevertheless, for many others, there's a sense that this is a unique time of opportunity and that we have a responsibility to respond. This particular friend of mine who has lived in Lebanon for 20, 30 years attends a small fellowship of just 35 folks. He told me that his fellowship of 35 is running 35 discovery Bible study groups. Wow. Now, you know, that means on average, each member of the church is running a discovery Bible study group, which is a tremendous kind of mobilization of the saints. That is, that's pretty outstanding. One of the things you talked about this morning in our VOM Chapel service was the fact that these are Arab Sunni Muslims who are coming to faith uh, and how, how rare that has been throughout history, and and that we see this now like we've never seen it before. Can you kind of expand on that a little bit for for people who maybe see Muslims as Muslim and they don't understand the different uh, types and brands of Islam and, and ethnicity that plays into this? It's very important to understand that there are only 200 million Arab Muslims. There are 1.6 billion Muslims in the world, so the huge majority are not Arab And when we look at the history of mission to Islam, in the 19th century, the first movements happened in Indonesia and Ethiopia. Then in the 20th century, there were movements in Bangladesh and in Central Asia and in Iran and in Algeria and in sub-Saharan Africa. And the Algerian movement was with Berbers. It wasn't with Arabs. So until... The present century, there was no movement among Arabs. And you can understand that because Muhammad was an Arab. The Quran is written in Arabic. So for Arabs, there is a particular pride that this is our religion, this is our prophet, and a greater degree of ownership and commitment. That's why it's so significant, this thing about Syrian Muslim Sunni refugees coming into the churches. And in fact, to get a little bit technical on your listeners, within Islam, there are two groups. There's Sunnis, who are the majority, and Shia, who are the minority. Iran is Shia. And 
there has been some interest shown by the Shia, but up to now, really very little by Sunni Arabs. And what's happening now in Syria and in Jordan is among Sunni Arabs. That's something we have never, ever seen before. And, and it's something that is growing directly out of conflict and war and terrorism and hardship. And this jihadi version of Islam, just like the Somali lady I mentioned who looked at the video and the guy is reciting the Quran as he commits this atrocity. That makes people think, what in the world? Yeah. There are growing numbers of Muslims becoming atheists. Thomas Friedman, a well-known journalist who writes for the New York Times, has documented the growing number of atheists. But alongside that, there are growing numbers who are saying, actually, people from a Muslim background find it very difficult to be atheist because they've got a God-shaped worldview. Right. Westerners kind of abandon religion and just go into a materialistic, semi-atheistic swamp. For people from the Middle East, it's much tougher because they have a sense of the importance of God and the need for God. So when they become atheists, quite often the next step is for them to look at other options and other understandings of who God is. If the God of Islam is not true, then what, else, what is true, basically, is what they're asking. They're, they're seeking, ultimately, that truth. And they find that in Jesus, God is love, which contrasts quite which is powerfully. Very different from the God of Islam. This, this message is reaching, even among ISIS, there are stories of people finding Jesus Christ. Can you, can you share some of those? Because I think, I think those are mind-blowing stories, but I also think that they tell our listeners, if you're praying for ISIS fighters to come to Christ, God is answering your prayer, and if you're not praying for that, you should be. Absolutely. Precisely because of this thing of um, exposing the evil and resulting in dissatisfaction and disillusionment. I was at a prayer event in Egypt in October, and we were delighted to hear two accounts of ISIS guys coming to faith. One is about a, a fighter who suddenly, unexpectedly, out of the blue, had a vision of the cross. And for an ISIS fighter, that is not good news. That's bad news. <laughs> What's wrong with me? And so he goes online because they're very Internet savvy. He goes to websites. He's looking for a good Muslim site to bolster his faith. And inadvertently, inverted commas, he stumbles into a Christian site and gets kind of interested and more interested and reads and the doubts grow. He leaves Syria, goes into Turkey and meets a believer who's able to share the gospel and he comes to faith. And he was at a conference in Lebanon, a church conference in Lebanon in October and, and shared that personal story. The other account we heard was uh, from Lebanon that there was a taxi driver who was a believer up at the border with Syria. And into his taxi gets this guy with a big beard. And the guy with the beard says, uh, take me to the airport. I'm flying home to Saudi. But on the way, I want to find a Bible. Can you find me a Bible? <laughs> and the taxi driver knew a Christian worker in Beirut who was very happy to give the guy with the beard the Bible. And then, sir, would you like to tell us why you're looking for a Bible? And his response was, I'm a, from Saudi. I'm a sheikh. 
I've, which means a teacher of Islam. I've been in Syria teaching the ISIS fighters Jihad 101, the theology and practice of Jihad. I'm sick of the killing. Wow. There must be something better than this. This is, this is a guy out of a group that, that glorifies the killing. They take video and do high production values and put it on the Internet and now you have a guy coming out of that and saying, I'm sick of the killing. And I guess that guy was giving theological justification for the violence. Wow. And he, something has happened and his eyes have been opened. And he said, I'm sick of it. There must be a better way. Give me a Bible. I would be curious to know what happened as he went through Saudi customs with a Bible in his bag. That <laughs> they said, uh, "Sheikh, why, why do you have this book? What's going on here?" Just for research. Yes, there you go. <laughs> just, I'm just looking into it. That's right. One of the things that you know we've talked about the good part of of what God is doing, um, but this is not coming easily for the church. There is suffering uh, and persecution that's happening there. How are the Christians responding to that? It's hard. People have been driven from their homes. Christian men have been killed. Women have been abducted. And there have been some brutal, brutal, horrific martyrdoms. I think a lot of your listeners will have seen the news of the 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians who were workers in Libya and were abducted dressed up in orange jumpsuits, taken down to the beach and butchered on the beach and the sea turned red with their blood. Horrific. The world was shocked at that. Shortly after that, Sat7, which is a Christian satellite TV program in Arabic, did a live interview with the brother of two of those guys. So the brother was on air. And he said this, he said, I want to thank ISIS for not cutting out the audio when they edited that video. Because we saw and heard that when our relatives and my brothers were dying, their last breath was to shout Jesus. They died proclaiming their faith in the Lord Jesus. And that gives us great comfort to know that they died in faith and it gives us actually, from a Middle Eastern mindset, it gives us honor. We as a village have been honored to now have martyrs who have died for the sake of Christ. So the presenter on this Sat7 TV show was really struck by that. And then he said, so what about forgiveness? Is that possible for you in this current situation? And the response was, I was talking with my mother. So this is a woman who's lost two of her sons. Two sons, martyred. And asking her about how she felt. And she said, if there was an ISIS guy in the street, I would call him into our home to forgive him and to share with him. And to share with him truth, to lead him out of the deception that is binding him. And this interview closed with the brother praying for ISIS, that God would forgive them and deliver them from their error. That's extraordinary. And these are Coptic Orthodox folks who 
we have to be honest, and as evangelical Protestants, we've tended to look down on them as kind of second class. Right. We, we would say nominal. We would say nominal. This is world-class Christianity to respond like that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, there's no human explanation for that response. There, it has to be something supernatural. It has to be God's Spirit that allows you to do that. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. You can listen to every episode of VOM Radio at www.vomradio.net. You know, that story reminds me, actually, of a story, and I want to talk because I know one of your early conference trainers at an OM conference uh, was none other than Richard Wormbrand, the the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. And, um, you know, he tells the story of bringing home a guard— from the camp where his wife Sabina's family had been exterminated. Uh, Richard and Sabina, converts from Judaism to Christianity, her family was exterminated by the Nazis. Uh, Richard brought home a guard from one of those camps, uh, and he told the guard, I will wake up my wife, she will greet you with a hug and make dinner for you, even though her family died at the camp. That's exactly what happened. He woke up Sabina, she said, oh, welcome to our home, what can I make for you? And this guard was just broken uh, that, you know, I was part of killing your family, and now here you're helping to feed me and forgive me. And again, there's no there's no human explanation for that. That's a supernatural response. The co-founder of OM with George Vera was Dale Roton. And when Pastor Richard was released from prison, Dale was one of the first Westerners to go and visit him in Romania. And Dale and Pastor Richard were walking down the street, and this guy comes up and, and hugs Richard. They embrace each other. And then this fellow moves on, and Dale says to Pastor Richard, so who was that? And Richard Wormbrandt said, that's the man who betrayed me. That's why I spent 14 years in prison, because of that guy. And now I'm hugging him on yeah, the street and yeah, greeting him. Yeah. What are the lessons that that we Westerners, Christians— need to learn from our persecuted family in the Middle East, uh, from the Richard Wormbrands of today who are living this out, what are the truths that that you would share with our listeners that, that we need to think about? And we need to think about, okay, how do I live that out? How does that affect my walk with Christ today? The word that has come into my heart as I've prayed about this is toughen up. Toughen up. That we need to reevaluate our appreciation of suffering and martyrdom that the way we function now influenced by the our society with its health and safety and risk aversion is that if there's danger that amounts to a reason for not going there i don't know what bible these people are reading because that's certainly not how the apostles functioned Suffering is part of the Christian life. That's what Jesus called us to, to follow him, to take up our crosses daily and to deny ourselves. And we've lost that understanding. We think Christianity is about fulfilling my potential, giving me a nice, happy life. And when God doesn't answer my prayers the way I think he should, it's grounds for turning my back on him and complaining. And, you know, we get bunches of people 
who have prayed for healing or something and it doesn't happen and they say that's it they leave church and secondly behind that there is an appreciation of god's sovereignty that he is on the throne and he's working stuff out and it's often not the way we anticipate but we need to have a greater trust that he is pulling stuff together for his glory and our ultimate good and i think and I work for VOM, so obviously this is somewhat biased, but some of the way that those lessons are taught is when we know what's happening with our brothers and sisters in the Muslim world, what's happening with persecution, uh, the stories of forgiveness, the stories of ISIS fighters coming miraculously to Jesus Christ. Um, that is somewhat the antidote for our, dare I say, self-centered Christianity uh, I want to follow Christ as long as his plans for me are similar to my plans for me. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think that's true, that that understanding what's happening in the church around the world helps us to grow out of that sort of laziness? And focus on ourselves and our, our comfort? Absolutely. I mean, I lived in Turkey for 15 years. So in 2008, three believers, one German and two Turkish the believers were martyred. They were tortured for two hours and then killed. And I knew one of them. And the widow, his widow, was somebody we knew quite well. And two days after her husband had been killed at the funeral, which was on live Turkish TV, she made a statement of forgiveness. Again, we have a theme of forgiveness, mm -hmm. not rebellion against God, not grumbling, but accepting. Not praying down fire and brimstone on your enemies. And, and that, again, was an extraordinary testimony to Turkey, because that was yeah, on live TV. To an entire nation. I mean, God was greatly glorified. Probably God was more glorified in Najati's death than in his life. That's a hard concept for us to grab a hold of. Um, Julian, I, I wish we had hours and hours to share stories and hear about what God is doing, but thank you very much for your work. Thank you for your partnership with Voice of the Martyrs, and uh, we're just thrilled to be a part of what OM is doing and uh, to be able to walk hand-in-hand hand together on the road that God has called us to. Uh, and uh, help us know as we finish up, how do we pray for the Muslim world? We want to equip our listeners to pray uh, give us one or two or three really specific things that we can pray for about Muslims. A lot of us, when we look at what's happening with ISIS, want to pray against them. This is evil. This is despicable. It's atrocious. So the natural reaction is to pray out of anger against them. These are people who have been deceived. They're lost. They're heading for a Christless eternity. We need to pray for them. At this prayer conference that I was at in Egypt, we were told about a prophetic word that had been given at another conference and which really resonated with us, which said that I have another Saul on the road to Damascus, Damascus, the capital of Assyria, and I have an Ananias and a Barnabas ready, and I intend to raise up apostolic figures out of these fighters to get my business done in the Middle East. We need to pray for God to call forth those apostolic figures out of ISIS. 
Amen. We've been talking with Julian from Operation Mobilization. Thank you, Julian, for your work, and thank you for being with us today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you very, very much. Connect with us online at vomradio.net to share Julian's great report with your friends and hear other episodes of VOM Radio. That's vomradio.net. God is at work in the Muslim world, and we celebrate the great things he is doing. Continue to pray for Muslims and for Christians living in Muslim nations, and we'll see you next week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.